Welcome, my dystopians. I'm Raul Guerrero, and you are listening to the Dystopian Republic. Today's story begins on the morning of August 25th, 1997. In the homeroom, Bo, Floor, Winston, and Ursella were assigned to their teacher Laura noticed the various shapes and forms of white dauber, black hornet, yellow jacket, and red wasp mementos on her students, realizing that the wounds inflicted by the Civil War were still fresh. She decided to break the ice by having everyone say their full name, tell the class a fun fact about themselves, and express a shout or gesture unique to them. Laura introduced herself by her full name and said that her favorite colors were white, black, yellow, and red, making huzzah, hurrah, her fist-pumping gesture of choice. Her ask for whoever would like to go next was met with five silent, awkward seconds. A white dauber named Roni Bernardo raised her hand, called Duck a l'orange, her favorite food, and gestured a pearly smiling peace sign. Jasper Robles, a black hornet, leapt from his seat, made his name heard, had the utmost craving for pasta e fagioli, and gestured his hand in the form of a middle-fingered stinger. Her yellow-jacketed offendedness popping off its lid, Barbara de Londres stared him down as she said, that cedar plank salmon was her favorite, fisting it high how Gregorio Jr. used to. That egged red wasp twins Danielle and Daniela Rudel into making the stare down two versus one versus one. Toddy hid under her weighty binder, hoping that and the collective onlooking keeps her from being looked at. Danielle yelled his name and that his favorite food was Hungarian goulash, gesturing a bee with his right hand and flailing his left one like a chicken. Daniela identified herself, screamed that barbecued whole rabbit was her favorite, and shouted for Alexis Jr. to be hailed in his spirit to live forever. Apprehensive about what he saw coming, Michel Serpicho who wore no colors, nudged into the would-be scuffle. That emboldened Laura into commanding Roni, Jasper, Barbara, Danielle, and Daniela to get back to their seats or else. Thanking Michelle for intervening, she went over classroom rules, passed everyone their respective schedules, and expected her students to make the most out of the 1997 1998 school year. Bo warmly, yet firmly squeezed on Floor's head. Ursella nervously scowled with crossed arms, and Winston darkly readied his muscles and nerves for battle. The crew filming Pluralistopia were noticeably agitated over the freak show unfolding before their lenses. Between periods one and two, Roni and Michelle helped Bow, glue floors, shattered heart, back together. Down the hall, Jasper whisperly understood that Ursella 
may not be feeling too good now, but told her to give it a day or so, and her resolve will be his. Beside a classroom door, Danielle and Daniela showed each other and giggled at the many bottles of liquor hidden in their backpacks, flooding their minds with malicious thoughts. By her locker, Barbara had a present to give to Winston as a token of her thankfulness for him joining the right side of history. Her gift to him was a gold-framed portrait of them dressed as Gregorio Jr. and Izaso for a propaganda play about their early childhoods. No time existed where the Quinteros and De Londreses weren't close, whether it was fighting for their dear leader or being neighbors with a shared discontent. Barbara held Winston's hands, pinned her nose and forehead against his, and nicely asked him if he wasn't seriously thinking of breaking the promise he made to her when they were small. He assured her that he did not forget his commitment to love her at any cost, apologizing for any time she felt that he was nowhere to be found. Barbara's kiss to Winston's lips had him staring into the camera crew, his teary plea to help him. A calmed down bow and recomposed floor walked into and saw that sight with all its vivivity. It was the last thing they were expecting out of their now estranged colleague chilling away at the hot grudges they bore against him. Across at a hallway corner, Ursella would see Winston's plea herself and his remorseful look at her bow and floor. All four cast members soon gazed at one another with the same pleading to be freed, giving the crew no idea what to do other than continue filming. Hearing the bell ring, Roni and Michelle had Bo and Floor come with them to their next class. Barbara took Winston away by the hand in one direction, while Jasper hooked his arm around Ursella's neck and had her go with him in another. Danielle and Daniela decided to skip their second period, sneaking into and locking themselves in the only classroom that had a TV connected to cable. Tuning into Gaiotel, news broke that a whole family had been found gunned down under an overpass on the Del Brew Highway. The lack of a vehicle nearby meant that they were likely dumped there and murdered someplace else. Listening to Telezoro's radio station in a bathroom stall, Toddy learned that police found an abandoned van full of dog-mauled corpses at the site of a road 20 miles east of Delgadopolis. Unlike the shootings earlier in the month, police now had two leads they could use to identify and apprehend those responsible. The first was one gray hair found at the site of the body dump, and the other was a single pistol in the van's glove box. Police saw that their long hair had no root and that their gun's serial number was shaved away, leading to the high likelihood that their leads were two more dead ends. 20 minutes after 10, Kurahaso High School's 700 students flooded 
onto the soccer field and surrounding bleachers. The groups formed before period one came to be once more, but as copies of the same tension that swamped Laura's home room. Compared to the wait for school to start, the recess looked like five tribes that were the cut of a thread away from crashing into and piling over or under each other. It had none of the talks, teases, and displays that expressed, poked, and swaggered alive the school. Whistling with the chilly, mouth-blowing winds, whispers bubbled the sea of students like a tide that constantly tried to correct itself. Only the daubers and their colorless adjacents were moving in and out of circular and jumbled in packs. Daniela listened to Danielle be the whisper of their pack, venting his outrage at Hotel Neutral depicted Dina as an abandoned, broken child and made Rhonda out to be representative of every bromelian on the receiving end of Gregorio Jr.'s tyranny. The twins were barged in on by a minibus's forceful parallel park beside the sidewalk next to the fence they and their friends were near or leaning on. Barbara was about to catch Winston reaching out to his fellow cast members when a caravan screeched to a halt. Jasper's scorn at Ursella for attempting to integrate the packs was preempted by an SUV harshly pulling over in front of them. Daniela wasn't as enthusiastic as Danielle was in seeing their parents, Richter Sr. and Sterling, brother Richter Jr. and sister Darling, step out of the minibus. Ursella's freeze upon seeing Melburn, Merlin, Maxwell, and Monroe had almost none of Jasper's gladness. Barbara grabbed Winston's wrist and dragged him with her to Jansen Jr., Flood Sr., Jesse and Lee, who were asking for those two to come hug them. Ready to shake hands, embrace, sign autographs, and converse, the Palencia brothers, Kava siblings, and Rudell family spotted one another. Their brains were shook up like wasps after having part of their nest bludgeoned off with a baseball bat. The pressure of being under the watchful eyes of the three gangs compelled Danielle, Barbara, and Jasper into loading up their stingers for a fight they could not get out of. Recognizing the brothers, siblings, and family, Laura had a front row view of a quiet down to its last seconds. In less than a fell swoop, red wasps, black hornets, and yellow jackets unveiled pocket knives and baseball bats dive-bombing into a three-way calash. White daubers and colorless kids ran across the field and jumped from the bleachers in a straining effort to escape a rumble they wanted no part of. One out of every four wasps, hornets, and jackets flipped off what having their stingers entailed. Many who tried to escape like Daniela succeeded 
but others were hit by driving knives and swinging bats. Not hesitating at all, Danielle stabbed every non-wasp his blade was able to reach. Jasper beat any person who didn't possess a black stinger, and Barbara used both weapons to make real messes out of her non-allies. Roni sprained her right ankle, jumping 15 feet from the stands, reducing her harsh sprint to a limping jog. Michelle sensed her coming, three strong, yellow-jacketed ambush and helped her hop at a runner's speed. Bo paused his climb up the fence, jumped back down, and bulldozed three red wasps who were chasing Floor with baseball bats. Her would-be attackers rolled back up and tried to get her and him, but were blindsided by a trio of black hornets. The near dozen yellow jackets who pointed their backs at and crowded around Winston allowed him to relatively stay in place and remain unharmed. Ursella ran, halted, jumped, and scooted through the various bat and knife fights littering the field. She came within inches or centimeters of being stabbed, struck, or both losing sight of her roommates. Caught up in her knifing and bashing, the party Barbara was having ended when the last black hornet she hit collapsed to his crimson masked death. Danielle felt an identical stop after driving his knife into a female yellow jacket's neck. It ran a powerful high through his veins that made what he did look cool and feel amazing. Enduring his share of abuse, Jasper lobbed his bat back like a frisbee he was excited to get rid of, showing more concern for himself than the red wasp he just fatally hit. Besides the three killed, over a hundred others sustained minor injuries like cuts and bruises or more serious ones such as bone fractures and head trauma. Furthering its mercilessness, the Rumble's injuries were concentrated among the white daubers and colorless kids, most of whom came to school unarmed, not foreseeing the madness. Danielle's high dulled to a medium below his jubilation over the life he ended, but above being perturbed that Daniela was nowhere in sight. Jasper crossed ran down and went around the corners of numerous streets, restless in his longing for Ursella to appear. Even further away, Barbara was shaky and internally panicky in her stagger for the Metroplex, needing Winston how a hurt child would want their mother. Other kids who ran from the field were minutes and yards into their urgent searches for their friends. Eleven floors up, G's Metroplex headquarters, Bo Sr. was eating chicken Alfredo and watching a stock trader advise viewers on what they should invest in. Tell Neutral ended the interview prematurely to report breaking news that a rumble had broken out at Kirahaso High and that there were 
possibly several critical injuries. Bo Sr. dropped his fork and spoon as the pasta he was chewing on slipped out of his shocked mouth. His second feeling was one that had him imagine getting the call or visit every parent feared the most. Bo Sr. cleaned himself up, called off his meetings for the day, and had his limo driver rush him to the school. His fear intensified after hearing on the radio that many of the kids who rumbled had left the school entirely. Getting her nails done, Geraldine was awakened from her nap by the salon manager telling one of her pedicurists to turn on the TV. This was how she found out about the Grizzly S show panicking her into leaving without finishing or paying for her pedicure. It took 98 minutes for police to contain the rumble and allow paramedics to tend to the injured and fallen. Struggling to distinguish victim from participant, officers played fast-forwarded and rewinded high-quality security camera footage repeatedly. They flashed pictures of the kids who took part in the rumble as well as the Cavas, Palencias, and Rudels they met up with just before it began, developing said images in the photography lab and having them in hand come the noon tide. The victims on the field and those who escaped gave names to some of the participants caught stabbing and bashing on camera. Barbara, Jasper, and Danielle were three of the kids identified, placing them at the top of the list of people police were on the lookout for. The CEO's office at Tel Neutral was where the camera crew and executives battled with their arguments. Its soundproofing muddled up everything they said and made it unclear which side was winning, but there was no doubt that the fighting was far from over. Aware of the deadly rumble, almost every human spine at the Mall of Bromelia shivered at the huge influx of teenagers. Mall goers resisted confronting them only because the police advised against it, going about their business like a normal sunny Monday. Located footsteps north of the mall, Sir Pichos had long been one of its staples, being the go-to for homemade, wholesome Italian food. Near where a pianist was performing, Bo and Floor intensely hugged and breathed their cries onto each other. Asked by a waiter if they were in need of tissues, they requested a minute with Michelle and Roni. A bartender told Bo and Floor that she and her co-worker couldn't say yes regardless of how much they wanted to. The waiter elaborated that Michelle and Roni were in the middle of one of their darker and more distressed private times upstairs in the penthouse. Dense, Italianate curtains blocked most of the outside light, keeping the indoor brightness a few points above pitch darkness. The penthouse was the size of a two-floor house in the heart of suburbia with the Campanile and Belvedere in forms and designs of all sorts. Fresh out of the shower, 
Roni depended on the drying water's warmth and thick, cozy towel to keep her naked self from crying her guts out. Kids whom she knew as friends or acquaintances were beaten and stabbed to pulps bloodier than stuffed pigs. Roni thought that it was obscenely unfair that she had to suffer for a fight she didn't even want to have. Dressed and smelling clean, Michelle sat on the living room sofa, closing his eyes while massaging his temples and cheekbones. He spared no vein pulse in rubbing the rumbles bloodshed out of his brain's memory bank. A fully clothed Roni walked downstairs and timidly asked him if he could cuddle the sadness out of her nerves. Bowen Floor relied on the pretense of waiting for Winston and Ursella to stay in the waiting area without being asked to leave. Had the madness today not happened, the cast members would have had dinner at Serpicho's to unwind after a rigorous day of learning. Winston came bursting into the Ristorante as it was the one establishment he knew wore salvation like an honorable badge. The shock that overcame him upon seeing Bo and Floor was the surprise Ursella gasped out when she entered and saw in kind moments later. It was as if the cast members had seen a light so bright and white that nothing else was visible, pulling out a day's worth of self-condemnation. Together at last again, Bo, Floor, Winston, and Ursella broke out in an uncontrollable harangue of apologies, trouncing any and all inconveniences and displeasures with its fiery passion and watery sincerity. The Mall of Bromelia and wider Denierkri Plaza became inundated with reunions of a kindred heat and liquid. During one ending of separation in the Loicone Renola, the boys and girls involved were as horrified to see Jasper as vice versa. They caught him in the act of killing his red wasp victim, bearing witness to its hideous aftermath. The kids who reunited were about to be the citizens in Jasper's arrest when a clamorous version of it became their attention's diversion. He used that distraction as his chance to put his hood and neck gaiter back on and firmly walk like the wind. His would-be detainers saw another girl escape her arrest, running for an emergency exit. They had to help the Red Wasp friends keep their rabbit-like, yellow-jacketed foe from starting a storm of blares that could submerge the whole plaza in a sea of disarray. But in holding her until police arrived, they gave Jasper more than enough time to escape. Gaiotel, Tel Neutral, and Telezoro were live at the Delgadopolis Police Department's conference room as the chief was moments from speaking. Shaking over time being of the essence, Jasper locked himself in an accessible restroom, cheesing off an old lady who was dependent on a cane who needed to go numbers 
one and two super bad. She scorned him for going into a bathroom he wasn't allowed to use, slapping on the door and threatening to get security to kick his rear end out. Jasper ignored her and stripped down to his boxers, stuffing and concealing his old clothes in a trash can packed with paper towels. He changed into an attire perfect for an equestrian in time for a security guard to unlock the restroom and ask him to get out. Jasper complied and was glad to see that the mall cop and lady were only mad at him for entering a bathroom he had no right to use. Telling her and the guard to have a nice day, he didn't see her wonder why he'd change his appearance completely. It bothered the old lady as she did her business, raising her suspicion from zero to a hundred. She dug into the trash and was aghast to see drops of blood all over the clothes Jasper discarded. The IDs, Bo, Floor, Winston, and Ursella showed the waiter proved that they were old enough to have the Riesling they ordered. With 16 being the drinking and smoking age in Bromelia, many high schoolers could legally drink and puff away their cares. As the cast members waited for their wine, they winced at some of their schoolmates for taking long smoke breaks outside. That had quite a few older customers cringing at them for not realizing their own hypocrisy but chose not to speak out in fear of inciting conflict. Served a bottle 750 liters in size, the cast members toasted their glasses and drank as one. Wanting to go all out with the alcohol, their walk for the bar was interrupted by Barbara jostling her way inside and to them. Bo wasn't expecting nor wanting to see her. Floor fearfully stepped behind him and Ursella threatened to beat her up if she got any closer. Never having seen Barbara shake and grind her teeth with such dire fear, Winston considerately asked her what was going on. The news broadcast cut into the police chief as he regretted to announce that three of the kids who participated in the mass fighting had been killed, adding that there were 117 injuries total. He assured the public that every participant would face accountability depending on the severity of their involvement. The chief started making good on that promise by naming Danielle, Jasper, and Barbara as his three homicide suspects. He warned the public that they should presume that they're armed, dangerous, and likely to attack if confronted. Being looked at by every patron, Barbara placed Winston in a one-handed sleeper hold and pointed a knife at his right temporal bone. She yelled for everyone to get the F away from her if they didn't want to see a fourth fatality occur. Barbara's knife had a survival look to it, but was really a bladed power saw one could hold in their hand. Her demonstration of its chilling brum spooked everyone into staying where they were. It gave Barbara a head bigger than the world's deepest gorge, enticing her 
into dancing her roam around the waiting area, dining room, and bar with Winston's life in her hands. At the same time, Jasper began to relax when he strolled away from the mall and toward the plazas outside. He left Delgadopolis's downtown, walked through three localities, then entered his own, not seeing one person outside, much less anyone staring at him. Barbara backed a couple steps up the stairs that led to the penthouse, anticipating a standoff that could incite something far bigger. Neglecting to check if anyone was behind her, two pairs of wires stuck their probes onto her upper back. The surprise they took Barbara by was less than the number of volts they fired into her body. That fleetingly paralyzed her into letting go of Winston and seeing Roni and Michelle hold tasers. Powering through the twin shocks, Barbara sprung to a crouch, revved her knife, and lunged for Winston's neck. Ursella disarmed her by smashing her hand with a roundhouse kick, giving other patrons the courage to detain her and notify the police. Just steps shy of entering his home, Jasper was swarmed by a squad of plainclothes officers and told to get on the ground and lie on his stomach. He funneled his shock over being arrested into a feeling of it starting his emancipation from the Black Hornet dogma. Trying but failing to break free, Barbara wildly begged an astounded Winston to take her knife and save her by cutting up her detainers. The desperation in her pleas prevented him from doing anything other than watch on and fight off any sorrowful expressions. She implored him to remember their lives spent hand to hand, abashing his brain into playing a reel that gave him an itch only helping her could scratch. Winston initially leaned towards taking the knife and tearing everyone apart, but was snapped back to his senses when Ursella told him not to dare do what Barbara said. Her finger-wagging command made his past matter less than his present, placing priority on the potential of his future. Winston looked at Barbara, mouthed that he was sorry, and walked to where he'd be beside Bo, Floor, and Ursella. His guts were wrenched all to hell from a decision he was forced to make for his own good and the three whom he knew would be there for him. Winston's apology rubbed Barbara in a way so wrong that it made her feel like he played her for a fool. With guns drawn, the cops charged inside and took her offer to Taters' hands and into custody. Being taken away, Barbara exclaimed to Winston that their yellow-crossed dead will devour him for his betrayal. She told him to mark her words that he'll come to regret his decision, promising him that he won't be wanted dead any less when that moment comes. Winston looked at Barbara with the daggers of a boy staring at his abuser, stripping her attempt to evade arrest 
of its constraint, Florinorcella side-hugged him while Bo whispered into his ear that they and the girls could now be one happy family. There and then, the camera crew's photography director called, directing them to report to the Pluralistopia house at once to go over some changes to the show's format. Their Escalade ride from Serpichos to their home base enveloped their eyes and noses with scalable armor and the smell of wine. Nothing other than the SUV's moving car parts managed to break even the subtlest noise through its fortress-like steel. Thinking deeper about the reaffirmed unity, the cast members realized that it had no chance of staying for strong because of the identitarian powers that be. Winston was certain the Kavas would harm him and do away with his roommates if they ever saw them affably converse. Ursula knew that an unsavory, violent reliving of her past awaited if the Palencias caught her being best friends with the other cast members. Bo expected nothing less than absolute agony out of both sets of siblings should they see him and his roommates laugh and have fun. Floor brooded over the nightmare she'd subject Geraldine to should the show cause either one of their lives to come under threat. Arriving at the Pluralistopia house, the cast members weren't expecting to see all their belongings in piles of sealed boxes on the driveway. Peeking through windows, Bo, Floor, Winston, and Ursella saw walls, floors, built-in appliances, and nothing else. Ordered to sit with the photography director in his RV, they were lost for words when he pulled a stack of pamphlets and brochures out of his old satchel. The literature at issue portrayed a spread out, yet close together, city home to a population that was predominantly Bromelian American, Sajon Lament, Nebraska. Bo asked the director if he was genuinely suggesting that he and his roomies leave Bromelia for greener pastures in the United States. On her superior's behalf, the camera operator answered with a yay that went off in the cast members' faces like a bomb. All was gaspy, shrieky, and contemplative at Richelieu Delgado International Airport. It turned out that Curahaso High wasn't the only school that became the scene of a violent rumble. There were reports of students fighting en masse in Delgadopolis, Bromelia City, Rancho Amarillo, Alexisville, Catalina Coast, Richelieu, Preston City, Cameliaburg, Lobotown, and Ivyville, raising the number of dead and injured significantly. Waiting for their flight to Valentine, Nebraska, a commercial for Crawford Airlines bragged about their parent company being their supplier. They were pleased to announce that they offered flights to and from Bromelia, Albaland, Amarifrica, the Adaloon Islands, Nefuala, Robapel, the Sajonian Islands, 
and West Shetland, among other places. Placing their passports side to side, Bo, Floor, Winston, and Ursella thanked Tel Neutral for requiring that they get them as a condition of their contracts. Their conversation with the director echoed in their heads as they walked into their plane and took their seats. The cast members were told that Pluralistopia was supposed to heal wounds, yet what they've filmed thus far was anything but ameliorating. Their director said that the rumble made it clear to him that it wasn't in the show's best interest to continue on in Bromelia. He believed and convinced executives that Pluralistopia had the best chance of accomplishing its mission if it was a documentary instead of a reality show. Luckily for Tel Neutral, they had recently finished building a humble spacious ranch less than a mile from the Nebraska-South Dakota border. Originally intended to be the setting for another show in development, it would now be the home base for Pluralistopia. The director imagined a film that was sincere, engaging, and meaningful, one that he and those under him could be proud of having on their resumes. His vision was approved by the executives solely due to its potential in distancing Tel Neutral from the car crashes and train wrecks that Gaiotel and Telezoro were causing. What's more, there was the issue of how Pluralistopia's new format would position the company historically. The plane's takeoff had Bo, Floor, Winston, and Ursella thinking of when police lined up some of the Rumble participants for the TV. An ashamed Jasper and vengeful Barbara were two such arrestees, but Danielle was still at large. Winston wanted that to be the last time he sees either one of those three, but one visual he saw before walking out of the TV's sight scarred his amygdala. It came in the form of Barbara ghoulishly glaring through the live broadcast at Winston. He thanked his lucky stars that both her and the society she's a product of was gonna be in his life no longer. Winston shared in Bow, Floor, and Ursella's worrying over how their families would react to them leaving the country unannounced. Their director had them depart in such a fashion out of concerns that they'd interfere in his film and the others he had planned. The further from Bromelia the cast members got, the less heed they paid to whatever the heck was happening over there. Back in that nation, the Palencia brothers, Kava siblings, and Rudel family were in panic mode after seeing their faces all over the news. The cops designated the three clans as people of interest in inciting the rumble at Kirahaso High. As Bo, Floor, Winston, and Ursella were flying out of harm's way, 
the Palencias, Cavas, and Rudels were mere yards into its danger-infested space. And as fate would have it, the rumble would send the families on three separate paths and the cast members on a fourth. And that was a school fractured. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to listen to the story I just gave. Share this show with everyone you know. Make sure they share it with everyone they know. Check out my website at www.rss.com slash podcasts slash the dystopian republic. Send me your respectful questions and constructive feedback at Raul Guerrero Jr. 95 at gmail.com. And lastly, support the show via my PayPal at paypal.com slash paypalme slash Raul Guerrero Jr. On that note, I'm Raul Guerrero and come again for another gripping, thoughtful, and sinister episode of the Dystopian Republic.